This is Mike Levitt, a co-founder of the Accountable Care Learning Collaborative. Our nation is faced with two very important, but sometimes competing priorities. We have a duty to provide the best possible health care for every patient, but we must also remain competitive in a global marketplace. That's what value-based care is all about. Our challenge is to create a uniquely American system of health care. Truly, we're in a race to make value work. Welcome to the Race to Value, a weekly podcast hosted by Dr. Eric Weaver and Daniel Chipping of the Accountable Care Learning Collaborative. The ACLC is a nonprofit organization focused on accelerating industry readiness for success in value. With its competency-based framework for health value, the ACLC is working with healthcare organizations all over the country to create the workforce of tomorrow. Come join Eric and Daniel as they engage the executives, clinicians, and entrepreneurs who are leading this race to value. Race to Value listeners, this week, you're going to learn how one employer, Rosen Hotels and Resorts, actively took control of healthcare spending by creating a cutting-edge health system for its employees to achieve quality care, improved outcomes, and lower costs. Founded in 1974, Rosen Hotels and Resorts is Orlando's most progressive hospitality company, owning upwards of 6,300 guest rooms more than any other privately held company in Central Florida. And since 1991, Rosen Hotels and Resorts has offered an innovative in-house healthcare program called RosenCare that has saved the company approximately $450 million since its inception, affording the opportunity to provide associates incredibly low premiums and innovative programs. The keystone of RosenCare is a patient-centered on-site medical home model that provides access to healthcare for eligible associates, which are known as Rosencare employees. And under that model, 5,700 lives receive comprehensive healthcare insurance. The Rosencare plan offers a primary care ecosystem along with access to co-located specialists, all conveniently housed at the on-site company-owned and operated Rosen Medical Center, a place for healing and wellness. And the cost savings by Rosencare under their medical home model is just outstanding, especially understanding the diversity of their workforce and the large number of hourly associates who have immigrated from other countries who may have never even received healthcare before. So Rosencare, I'm just so excited to bring this to you all as an example of a true healthcare solution for other self-funded employers to follow a patient-centered on-site medical home model based on the five tenets of access, quality, service, cost, and innovation. In this week's episode, you're going to hear from three of the company's executives that will discuss key programs and critical success factors that contributed to Rosen Hotel saving over 30% in healthcare costs for decades. First and foremost, you'll be hearing from Harris Rosen, an American businessman, investor, and philanthropist 
who founded Rosen Hotels and Resorts in 1974 and serves as the company's president and chief operating officer. You'll also be hearing from Kenneth Aldridge, director of health services for Rosen Medical Center. In this role, he oversees all daily operational aspects of the medical center, including staff management, strategic planning, provider relations, public relations, budget development and analysis, and pharmaceutical and other external contract negotiations. And finally, you'll be hearing from Ashley Bacot, the president of Provinsure, an independent insurance consulting arm owned by Rosen that grew out of its risk management department about 25 years ago. Ashley's played an integral role in helping Rosen Hotels and Resorts develop a cutting-edge self-insured healthcare model to include an on-site primary care facility. Well, if you haven't heard about Rosen Hotels and Resorts and Rosen Care, you're about to be inspired and challenged about how you think about value-based care. The takeaways here are going to be multifaceted. They can be applied to ACOs, health plans, and employers. This interview will allow you to rethink how local community engagement goes into your healthcare strategy and how you form partnerships with the community. Rosen Care's approach will force you to reconsider your approach to access, quality, cost, service, and innovation. So without further ado, let's now hand it over to Harris Rosen, Kenneth Aldridge, and Ashley Bacot as they join us this week in the Race to Value. Thank you. It's an honor. Thank you. Happy Thank to, you. Be here. to be here. Well, as we get started today, I thought we could begin by walking our listeners through the journey that is Rosen Care. In 1991, Rosen Hotels and Resorts was facing uncontrollable and rising health insurance premiums. This wasn't unlike any other company in that era, beginning to recognize that healthcare expenses, which is the second biggest overhead item on a company's P&L statement, is simply too big to ignore. However, what separates Rosen Hotels and Resorts from countless other companies facing the same challenge is that your company actually did something about it. You took bold action. Whereas other companies are fearful of redesigning their benefit structure within their health plan, Harris, you took on the responsibility of doing just that. You took on the company's health costs into your own hands. You realized that half of the healthcare spending wasn't adding up to anything of value. And you led a transition to really redesigning the benefit plan that in the first year cut 66% of costs. And over the course of time to say, Rosen Care has been an outstanding success in and of itself is somewhat of an understatement. I mean, the results are out of this world good. I mean, Rosen Hotels and Resorts spends 50% less capita than the average employer. The company's cost per covered life of $5,500 is roughly half of the national average of twelve dollars to $14,000. Since its inception, Rosen Care has saved the company approximately $450 million on healthcare costs, and your company's turnover rate is in the teens, which compared to the hospitality industry, averages around 70 to 80%. So we're going to spend some time today talking about the specifics of the program and how it lowers costs. However, before we get into that, I wanted to talk about the culture of Rosen Hotels and Resorts and what made that transformation possible. As I understand, you treat your associates in a way that's unparalleled. In this strong company culture where everyone's treated like family, that's really been the substrate that nourishes 
the longstanding success of the Rosencare medical home model. So Harris, I thought this question would be a good place to start. Can you tell our listeners about your philosophy in running a company that's really centered around this strong family-oriented culture that your associates are part of? And how does that contribute to the success of Rosencare? And and given the evidence that this approach actually works, how should other companies be thinking about changing their philosophy about corporate culture due to the impact it has on people's lives? Well, first of all, Eric, I I think your introduction is probably the finest introductions I've ever heard in my life. You've done a beautiful job in summarizing our little company and why we are, what we are, and who we are. It's not really very complicated. When when I left the military in, in the early 60s, I retained a couple of things that I will never, ever relinquish. Uh, a couple of things that I learned. Of course, I learned a lot. But PPP, PPP, prior planning prevents piss poor performance, something that I have never forgotten and will never forget. And also that uh, keep it simple, stupid, K-I-S-S. And, and so those have been kind of a, a primary focus for me whenever I bumped into a hurdle that seemed to be uh, slightly difficult to overcome. I, I, I wanted to keep it simple and I wanted to plan precisely before I decided to do anything. Rosencare evolved because we were not at all pleased with the traditional cost, the traditional insurance that we had. We had no choice. We did what everyone did. We did what we were told to do. We hopped on the wagon and we tried our very best to uh, to do a little bit better, but we couldn't because we didn't control our own destiny. But one year, I said we were going to try really very, very hard to reduce our costs as best we could so that instead of an increase in premium every year, uh, we would see maybe no increase or perhaps a slight decline in, in our cost. And so we worked diligently. And yes, indeed, we were able to reduce our cost rather dramatically. And when I say that, I'm talking about maybe 20 or 30%. Of course, we didn't have much that we could control, but we tried diligently to keep our people healthier, to make make sure that they they understood if they weren't feeling well, uh, that we would be able to refer them to primary care doctors or specialists or even the hospital. And all of those little things combined seemed to do some good. However, at the end of the year, waiting with great anxiety for the fundamental challenges that we were confronted with in terms of cost, what happened was, was, was really quite disappointing. The, the costs that we received not only were, were not less than the previous year, but they were more. And, and I knew for sure that they had made a mistake. So I tried desperately to, to find a contact uh, in the insurance company uh, at their headquarters, but I couldn't get a response. I, I then d- discovered that in Atlanta, there was a uh, an office that actually was responsible operationally for our little company. And I finally did get a hold of someone and spoke to that individual. And I said, how is it possible that our costs are up this year? When, when indeed we did everything possible to reduce the cost and we succeeded by around 15 to 20%, but we're confronted with a 15 to 20% increase. That's crazy. Oh, he said, well, it's not your fault. It's the fault of, of those that we put together in, your, in, in, in the group. I said, what group? He said, well, we put everybody together in a group. I said, no, 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 no. From now on, 
I don't want to be in a group at all. He said, you don't have any choice. I said, what do you mean? He said, we put everybody in a group. And I said, well, I don't want to be in a group. And so if I have no choice, I'm leaving. He said, fine. It didn't seem to bother him at all. And so I hung up and I said, now what? I've got to give all of my associates health care, but, but now I don't have health care. What, what are the options I have? And so I, I thought and thought and, and, and asked a lot of questions of a lot of people. And, and I decided, look, there is an alternative. The alternative is, is for us to create our own little insurance company. Why can't we have our own little insurance company? And, and why can't we in, indeed have our own little primary care facility, our own little clinic? And, and, and why can't we negotiate ourselves with specialists and with hospitals and get the very best deal we can? And the answer to all of the questions I asked myself was, you can, you can, you can do it. Don't give up. And so we had a little finance office and we had outgrown that office, our finance department. We were planning on, on, on putting in a little daycare, but that would only accommodate a fraction of our associates. And so I said, wait a second, if accounting is moving and we have that space, why can't we create our own little medical center? And then I answered myself and I said, we can. And then I said, well, who's going to be there? I said, we'll find a doctor. We did. I had a young lady friend who was a physician and I knew she wasn't happy where she was. And I spoke with her and I said, is it possible that our little company that has about 750 covered lives, is it possible that we can create our little healthcare facility? She said, of course. I said, would you be willing to do it? She said, yes, I would love the opportunity. I said, how many people will you need? She said, I would need an admin and I would need a nurse practitioner. And I said, that's it? She said, that's it. And what about equipment? She said, let's go shopping. We'll buy everything secondhand and save a fortune. We did that. And sooner than we ever expected, we had our own little primary care facility and we were ready to go into business. Now we need an insurance company. So what did we do? We created our own little insurance company and it is now Provensure. And what else did we need? Well, we had our own medical center, we had insurance, but we didn't have any relationship with any specialist or a hospital. So we sought those relationships. We spoke with specialists. We spoke with hospitals. And sure enough, we put the whole package together. And then we were in business. It wasn't that complicated. Scary, yes. Uncertain, of course. But we did it. And in the first year, a miracle. It was like the, the Red Sea just parted because our cost per covered life dropped from around eleven to $1,200 to around $700. And we actually made the cover of Florida Trend Magazine. And that's how we got started. Yes, did it take courage? It did. But it came from disappointment. It, it came from a sense that we weren't able to control our own destiny. And now, 45, 47 years later, our savings, as, as you suggested, Eric, uh, have been around 450 to $500 million over the 40 years that we've been doing this. And our cost per covered life is a fraction of what it is nationwide. And now others are calling upon us for help. And we, we are involved with, with other areas uh, and, and helping others with their health care needs. And we've been quite successful thus far. And, and that 
in essence, is a little story of how Rosencare started and where we are today. We have, as I said, about 5,000 covered lives, and our cost per covered life is a fraction of what the national average is. We control our own destiny, and, and Kenneth and Ashley will be able to give you the details. But I think that uh, our, our health care plan has got to be one of the best anywhere, and we're so proud of that. So, Eric, I think that kind of summarizes where you uh, sort of left off and, and, and shares with you and uh, all of your listeners exactly how we got started, why we got started, and where we are today. I just today. wanted to share just a little bit about that. A culture is something that's not developed overnight, and, and a culture is something that's not developed without the leader playing a key role. And Mr. Rosen leads by example. So when it comes to your health, he swims a mile and a half a day and he eats very well. And I see what his diet is. Sometimes when I think in order to be healthy, sometimes you have to eat stuff you don't want to eat. He eats just some really, really good tasting stuff. I guess he's just learned how to how to do it over the years, but he eats really well. He exercises. And although we're not all is dedicated as he is to this, it impacts us in some way. I mean, it makes us want to be better, want to maybe tonight, maybe I'll eat a little bit better. And so that comes all the way from the top. And Mr. Rosen, back in the day, he made beds. He delivered the towels to the rooms. He worked in the flower beds and put these beautiful annuals in, you know, at the right time of the year where everything looked pretty. And there's a lot of other examples, but it's it's that kind of, of stuff that has made us who we are. And one final thing about our, our culture, he kind of turned the, the whatever, you know, I learned in college about management, he kind of turned that on its head. And instead of having all this hierarchy and these employees reporting up to these managers, we as managers kind of work for our employees. We are out every day working with our employees, you know, asking them, what kind of tools can I give you to help you to do your job better? And then Mr. Rosen sits down with our associates on a regular basis. He sits down with him without us being in the room, without the managers being in the room and says, you know, hey, associate, how are you doing? Is everything going okay? Is your, is your manager treating you well? And these associates are not shy. If we have not been treating them well, they will say it. And it's given them a voice and that's incredibly powerful. You, you have folks that don't feel like they, they're oppressed and they, they feel like they have a voice. And so it, maybe it's not perfect, but it, it's kind of magical. Ashley, appreciate that very much. Look, I do have something silly to say, and, and it oversimplifies the, the whole very complex issue of healthcare and Rosen care and what has been transpiring over the past many, many, many decades. And this is our little saying, if you keep people, our associates, healthy, it will reduce healthcare costs. Boy, that's not very complicated, is it? But if you work diligently to keep folks healthy, the impact is going to be very positive on them because nothing is better than being healthy. And number two, on the bottom line, because if they're healthy, they're going to reduce their healthcare costs dramatically. Mr. Rosen, I love that statement of keep people healthy, but we want to come to reality with our population. Of course. Let's help them get healthy. I mean, because remember, our population is coming from uh, other areas that might not have been 
served with insurance or healthcare. And so Eric and Daniel, it's important that we also understand and bring it to, hey, we've got a higher incidence and prevalence associated to hypertension and diabetes and those type of things. And then we have social determinants of health that impact healthcare. But I mean, if, if we can keep them healthy because they are, they are healthy, that is awesome. But I wanna say and be transparent, we just work to get them healthy. So Rosen Hotels hires them and we have to try and help them and help fix them. You know, when we have individuals who are coming to and God bless them that they've never had healthcare before, they've never seen doctors before and we're diagnosing them with diabetes and thyroid disease and high cholesterol and high blood pressure that is off the charts, that's different. That's where we're just trying to save their life. But now we've got an opportunity because of what Mr. Rosen did back in 1991. He saw, he saw the vision of where we could take healthcare, which is a sick care system, a broken system, and let's bring to them what they need, which is primary care. You, we talk about direct primary care. Well, this is advanced direct primary care on steroids is what Ms. Rosen, and Ashley, and Rosen Hotels has created. Let's go ahead and jump into that. This has been a 30-year journey. You've grown to 5,700 lives from the first 500. You've each talked about your demographics and the diversity of those demographics, including many immigrants. We've talked about the average rates of of coverage for employees, and you've got a rich benefit package, zero co-pays, cover 90% of pharmaceuticals, no co-insurance. We're going to talk about medical home in a bit, but first want to explore the self-insurance business underpinning. And for Rosen Hotels and Resorts, to pull that off, I understand you really needed to become self-insured, as you mentioned, but part of that was also finding an independent third-party administrator that was agnostic to the design of the ecosystem and could allow to implement cost savings features. So building out the Rosen Care model led to the creation of Provinsure, which assists companies in arranging health insured healthcare programs and primary care medical centers similar to Rosen Hotel's nationally recognized in-house programs. So Ashley, this question is for you. Can you speak to the strength of the self-insurance model at Rosen Hotels and Resorts? I'd love to hear about how the plan achieves sustainability so that cost shifting to members doesn't incur. And what is it that makes the benefit design of Rosencare so successful in promoting associate health and member satisfaction? And why are other employers so fearful of changing their benefit design? Great question. So when Mr. Rosen hung up the telephone with that executive at the health insurance company that day, he kind of said, oh my gosh, you know, what the heck are we going to do? I think he mentioned that earlier. We became self-insured pretty much overnight. We hired an independent third-party administrator overnight. <laughs> we started doing direct contracts with facilities and providers rather rapidly. And those three things, I don't know if it was luck. I don't know if it was just how it all kind of came together. But those are probably the three most important components of change that others out there need to do in order to really get a grip on their healthcare costs, become self-insured, independent third-party administrator that's agnostic to various solutions that you bolt on, and direct contracting. It's interesting, and, and, and steerage, yes, yeah, steerage is important. You know, we want to we want to be sure that we steer our employees to associates to the best docs 
And when our associates or any of our clients, when they pull the right levers, meaning going to the high quality providers, facilities, et cetera, they have zero to very little out-of-pocket cost. And so that's incredibly important for folks, especially folks who may not be making a, a huge salary. But for Rosen and some of our other clients, and, and let me just speak to some of our other clients. If they want, if the associate wants to go to their doctor that they've been going to for years, who is not the best doc in the world, but they were told by their their neighbor that they were the best doc in the world. And so that's where they're going to have the hip surgery done after about five minutes of due diligence. If they want to do that, well, then they can do that. They have the freedom to do that, but they have to pay the, the out-of-pocket cost associated with making a poor decision. So steerage is incredibly important, and it's very well received by most of the members of the health plan. You're always going to have a small subset that says, I'm just going to go where I darn well please. And you know, my neighbor said that Dr. Smith is the best knee doctor, so I'm just going to go there. As far as why other employers are just not jumping on board, there always seems to be a reason. I'm not so sure how valid the reason is, but there's always some sort of excuse. I think the biggest reason is it's hard to change. When there has been a template around for a long, long time, it's hard to go against that grain. It just feels kind of awkward. And, and if you find out that most people, you know, the, the hotel across the street and the hotel down the way, if they're doing it the old-fashioned way, we'll just, we'll just keep doing it the old-fashioned way. We will bitch and moan about costs and that sort of thing, but we won't do anything about it. We'll, we'll keep calling around and finding out what our neighbors are doing. And if they're doing the same thing, we'll just you know, keep on trucking in that, that direction. So I think that's one change. It's a hard thing to do. Uh, another reason we're hearing these days is that it's a tight labor market. I don't want to upset my, my associates. And I would just encourage those folks to give us a call or give someone else a call that they've heard that's doing something similar to what we're doing and, and talk through that a little bit. Because if you just kind of randomly came into one of our hotels and went up to one of our associates and asked them, do they enjoy our health plan or is our health plan hard to navigate and they really don't like the doctors and they really don't like the hospitals, you're not going to hear that. You're going to hear folks that go, oh my gosh, you know, Mr. Rosen wants to be sure we go to the best docs, et cetera. And so Again, there's always a reason, but what I would tell these folks who are thinking about doing something a little differently is this. When Mr. Rosen hung up that phone 30 years ago and says, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? That's a reason to be scared. That's a valid reason to be scared. Today, with all of the, the help that's available for folks and to kind of see the proof in the pudding, you know, we've lived it. We've learned what the, the challenges are along the way. And there are folks out there, not only us, but there are folks out there that can kind of hold your hand and show you the way. There really should be no reason to be incredibly hesitant about making this decision. And if you don't want to go all in, you know, the first year, you don't have to. Maybe you do something drastically different with just your pharmacy or drastically different with just your imaging, et cetera, and just see what that feels like. And then naturally, you'll just progress into doing more and more as you kind of feel it and live it.
Well, thank you so much for that uh, explanation, Ashley. And I think I really understand where, where you guys were going with the benefit design and it's a perfect setup. And But I, I now want to take our conversation to the actual experience in the facility, Rosen Medical Center, this place for healing and wellness. Um, I'd love to understand that environment a little bit more. You have a state-of-the-art primary care medical home model. It's in a 12,000 square foot primary care facility. It's adjacent to one of the Rosen Hotel properties. It offers one-stop shopping, on-site services like lab, ultrasound, your imaging, advanced medication dispensing, disease management, occupational therapy. Your associates can receive care while they're on the clock and working, and you'll even provide them transportation from the hotel workplace to the medical center, which removes a couple of barriers there. And your staff is really focused on kind of that holistic, high-touch, relationship-based way of delivering care and really involved in providing coaching and care coordination and navigation support throughout that medical journey. And there's a lot of focus on evidence-based approaches to case management and care transitions. You even offer community wellness programs and kickboxing classes, health screenings, and and then you even have a healing garden there. So I'm just really excited when I learned about it. And, you know, Kenneth, I thought this would be a great opportunity for you to maybe explain to our listeners what exactly is it that makes this such a great place for healing and wellness that helps people achieve optimal health outcomes. Eric, that was a great job on knowing about the Rosen Medical Center, but it's about the, it's the relationship. You heard to Ashley and Ms. Rosen talk about culture, but that's also what we have at the Rosen Medical Center. It's a relationship with that associate and their dependents, that we have all of the services that they need for them to receive and achieve optimal health. So primary care, and you hear all the discussions about direct primary care models, that's what this is. It's advanced direct primary care, physical therapy and dietitian and everything that we have within. So having that place where you have a relationship with a provider, either an MD, a DO, a nurse prac, or a, a PA will help you recognize, hey, here's the problem. And this is where I need to get my diabetes from here to here. And this is what I need to do about it. And oh, by the way, did you, here's the medication that will get to you from the Rosen Medical Center. Or here's the insulin that you can get and Mr. Rosen completely pays for it. So we seek to remove every barrier that we possibly can in relation to the provision of healthcare. And talk about barriers, Mr. Rosen has created a system and insurance where we don't have deductibles, we don't have co-insurances. 35% of Americans are delaying care because of deductibles. Mr. Rosen got rid of that. We don't have any co-insurances so the patients don't have to worry about that. And not only do the patients not have to worry about it, our providers are not having to fight, I need this prescription for this patient at this time. No, with, with an insurance company, it's this is what I need for my patient. This is what they need to get so they can achieve that care in relation to their diabetes or HIV or whatever it might be. Those are barriers that are placed upon healthcare systems and administrators that are saying, hey, I can't do this because of the administrative burden of insurances. So we've removed that from the equation within Rosen Hotels and within the Rosen Medical Center. And having in our facilities, you know, Spanish and Creole nurses or medical assistants or providers, that also brings a level of trust and understanding between the patient and that provider. That that provider can speaking to them in their own language to help them along this journey. Because remember, 
we are bringing them in because of, hey, they were just hired by Rosen Hotels and Resorts. And we are bringing them in to do, give me a baseline. Where are we starting with? So that's where we're going to reach out to them. We're not being reactive, Eric. We're being proactive. Ashley just joined with Rosen Hotels. We're going to reach out to him. Welcome to Rosen Medical Center and Rosen Hotels. Let's go ahead and schedule your first appointment so we can do a meet and greet. Let's go ahead. Oh, wait, you've never had a mammogram before? Let's go ahead and order that now because you're of age. Let me give you this great example. We actually had a 47-year-old female. We reached out to her to schedule her first visit and the front office recognized and said, hey, have you ever had a mammogram? We'd like to get those results. And she said, I never had one and I will never have one. And that was the first interaction we had with her. She started coming to us, I think it was about three months. Over the three months, we developed a relationship with her. We had our mobile mammogram outside that day. Our provider who developed a relationship with her walked her out to the bus where she realized it was, you know, the ladies were coming off. They weren't in pain or in, she realized, hey, this is not so bad. So we, we were able to get her in that day. We were able to get the mammogram. And guess what did we find Eric and Daniel? She had breast cancer. But because of the relationship, because of the service that we brought to the Rosen Medical Center and developed that relationship with her, we were able to just do a lumpectomy, meaning just take out a little piece of the breast. We saved her life, Eric. We saved her life and be able to get her to treatment and be able to keep her alive and well and also save Daniel Rosen Hotels and Resorts, probably about $60,000 in maybe a mastectomy and chemotherapy and all those other therapies that are out there. That's the difference of Rosen Medical Center, that we're proactive in the care of our population. Talk about an ACO. This is an ACO on steroids. Talk about a DPC. This is a DPC on steroids. That's what makes it different. That was a great answer. Thank you, Kenneth. I, I love that story and sharing that with us. And I want to pursue this thought where you're going a little bit further and understand how Rosencare is able to eliminate low value care. When you think about 30% of healthcare spending in the U.S. being wasted on low value care, administrative complexities, inefficiency, you know, we've got a significant portion of waste and estimates on spending on low value care really range from 100 billion to 700 billion each year. And the harm of low value care is innumerable. And you've got overuse of medications, overscreening of cancers, unnecessary procedures. I'm hoping you can walk our listeners through your personal crusade to address the issue of low value care by designing a health ecosystem that prevents associates from receiving medical treatment, tests, and providers that are wasteful, ineffective, and sometimes even deadly. How are patients incentivized to make the right decisions about their care? And how does the care ecosystem help patients navigate the system? Absolutely. Great question, Daniel. So the first part, it goes back to what we have created, which is the relationship between their provider and the patient. So that provider is walking them through that ecosystem that we've created in recognition of the high value providers that we've put into our system. So we've got not only those pieces, but we also are very um, engaged with our PBM. So there's a lot of drugs that are out there that are low value or the, what is it, the Dulexis or something like that that's out there. It's like $2,000 a month and it's a combination of ibuprofen and omeprazole. We make sure that those things along with our PBM are not included in our program. 
And then we've established programs within the Rosen program to make sure that we're not putting in experimental. But we're not going to be penny wise and pound foolish. We do know that there's things that are out there that do bring value, but that haven't been proven out yet. So we know that, with, for example, physical therapy, we know there's value to physical therapy, especially if you're going to do a knee replacement. So we make sure we're working with those providers that are going to do a pre-physical therapy two weeks before and post two weeks after, not only going to our high value orthopedic surgeons, but also getting those services. But also some of the things that we've done, we've stepped outside of the box, Daniel. We've looked at opportunities in relation to medical marijuana. We don't put ourselves in boxes. We look at chiropractic care. We look at the non-traditional to find ways that we can provide better outcomes for our members that might not be the traditional allopathic. But because we have our own medical director and because we have our own medical team within, we're always evaluating these systems, these low-valued meds, every widget that comes out and gives us a phone call saying, hey, this is the greatest fish oil that might be out there. We're looking at that from the Rosen Medical Center to determine, is there value to it? It might not be allopathic accepted, but it might be an opportunity that we want to take a look at. And when we do that, we've looked at, which is legal in the state of Florida, we looked at medical marijuana. And we do, within a very strict guideline at the Rosen Medical Center, we will manage individuals and refer patients for the potential for medical marijuana. Now, some physicians out there have said, well, hey, if that could just be a placebo effect. Me personally, do I care if a patient tells me that they stopped their opioid day one, or they feel like themselves again, or they don't have any more depression? That's that individual's experience. Did it bring value to that individual? Yes. Is healthcare individual in these moments in population health? Yes. And that's what we serve at the Rosen Medical Centers to find those opportunities that are outside of the norm. Mr. Rosen doesn't want us standing in a box. And when we do these kind of things, we do pilots, we keep it safe. We have our medical director and our, our entire team monitoring this and it is legal. We're going to try it. Well, gentlemen, I'm thinking about the state of employer-sponsored health insurance, and it's gone up 54% since 2009. And the employer healthcare market was already dysfunctional and ineffective in producing value in health. I mean, you have poor health costing employers $530 billion on top of the $880 billion they already spend in premium dollars. And I think one of the issues that we have here, and it, it may not be the an acceptable thing to say in some circles, but you've had hospitals that have really been relying on commercial insurance to subsidize losses they have on the public pay side. And that's just unsustainable where you have this cross-subsidy to spot margin where they're losing money on Medicare and Medicaid. And I wanted to ask you if you could speak to… How do you approach direct contracting with hospitals and get these mutually beneficial deals since they're so used to using the commercially insured population as kind of their fee-for-service gravy train, if you will? I'd, I'd love to hear more about these important partnerships with health systems and really how does their participation align with the Rosencare strategy for access, quality, service, cost, and innovation? Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, how do we find alignment? We've actually partnered with some that want to make a difference, that they recognize that employers 
are the payers and that they have they are the shareholders that make a change that make a difference and we have those relationships with those hospital systems that are willing to take a look at value-based reimbursements i mean not the traditional capitation i'm talking value-based i'm talking about bundled payments we're talking about upside and downside risk there are those that are out there they know that the hospitals have not been doing things to the best interest with fee for service that's a sick care model but now a lot of these hospitals are recognizing that they need to make a change bringing in those ACOs and saying, hey, we're going to put our money where our mouth is. We're going to show outcomes. We're going to show improvements in reduction in readmissions, a reduction in ER utilization, reduction in hospital-acquired infections. They are out there. And those are the ones that we want to partner with and have partnered with. They're there. Kenneth and Eric and Daniel, there's a lot that can be done listening to what we have to say about our health care plan. Others if they had the courage, would be willing to try to replicate the program. That's not easy, but if they were able to do it, if they had the courage to do it, the results would immediately demonstrate to them that they made the right decision. That's one component of healthcare in America, and that would change healthcare in America dramatically. If everyone had the courage to be self-insured, if everyone had the courage to have their own healthcare plan and take care of all of their associates the way we do. The savings would be dramatic. On the other hand, there's another component, and that component is the hospital component. In my personal opinion, in need of change. Why do I say that? I say that because in many instances, hospitals seem not to be overly concerned about the cost of what it is they're offering on a daily basis. And that's a mistake. I can't imagine walking into a hotel or walking into a grocery store and picking up items or booking a room and not knowing what the cost would be until I checked out and then discovering that the cost is two or three or four times more than what I had anticipated. That's hospitals today. Hospitals must, in our opinion, and I don't think we're, we're denigrating hospitals in any way when we suggest this, but hospitals must try to be fair and equitable. So the perfect solution would be for there to be a wonderful website. On that website, hospitals from all over America or all over the world would post the cost of all of the treatments that they offered, what the cost of those treatments are, and what the outcomes are that they've experienced. So somebody might say, I can offer tonsillectomy for $500 and our outcomes are 75%. Well, I'd be a little bit hesitant about that. Somebody else might say that our cost for a tonsillectomy is $550 and our outcomes are 100%. Okay, I understand the cost, but I understand the outcomes also. And if every hospital was required to post all of their costs for all of their procedures, for all of their treatments, anyone would have the ability to look at that website in very, very clear and simplistic terms, look at what it is that they, the treatment they need, and then look at the cost and look at the outcomes. 
Now, one would wonder, that's so simple, Harris. Why don't we have that? You'd have to ask the hospitals. Why don't they do it? Why do they lobby all of the governments, state governments, county governments, federal governments, so uh, with, with such enthusiasm and such force? Why do they do that to try to preserve what it is they have? I can't answer that question. They would have to answer it, but it's not right. The right response is, hospitals, we love you. We love what you do. You save lives on a daily basis. Just post your treatment cost and post the outcomes, and that will change healthcare in America forever. Harris, I couldn't agree more. When you think about what you've just stated, receiving care also causes for many financial ruin. And we know it's the number one cause of personal bankruptcy in our country, with 70% of those filing for bankruptcy actually having had health insurance. When you think this day and age, employers are cost shifting a lot of the cost of health care to employees. And a recent survey from the Kaiser Family Foundation shows annual premiums for a family now top $22,000. And deductibles have more than doubled since 2010. Your model's different. You intentionally went another direction where patient out-of-pocket expenses are limited to support optimal engagement with the Rosen Care Health ecosystem. So I'm hoping we can talk about how foundational it is that patient out-of-pocket expenses are minimized in your model. And does the low out-of-pocket costs ever create a moral hazard when patients do not bear enough of the cost to drive healthy lifestyle choices that are in their own self-interest? Remember what I said, Uncle Sam taught me KISS, keep it simple, stupid, and prior planning prevents piss poor performance. We have focused laser-like on both of those philosophically. And we know that we can help control those costs. And Ashley or Kenneth will provide with you details to demonstrate unequivocally what it is we have done for our associates to keep their costs to a bare minimum so that what you've just described as being a horrible financial situation for America today, healthcare costs, we have eliminated that fear and that anxiety. I keep going back to that conversation that Mr. Rosen had with that insurance company. When we were with that insurance company and the insurance companies before them, when we would have a renewal that was a little bit tough to swallow because of the increase, they would say, oh, it's okay. All you have to do is increase deductibles and increase your uh, co-pays and increase your co-insurance, and we can get those costs down for you. And I don't think at that point in time, we really thought much of, about it because we weren't managing our own health care. You know, we were just paying someone to take care of that for us. Well, when it all fell into our hands and we were having to make decisions, we talked about that a little bit. And there was a lot of introspection done when we, when we asked ourselves that question, you know, do, do we need to increase these deductibles? No, we said that doesn't make sense because people are not going to take their medicine. They're not going to take care of themselves as we do that, if we do that. And so we did <laughs> what we've been doing pretty much all along for the last 30 years, kind of doing the opposite of what the insurance and healthcare community does. And, and it's proven out for us. So when we remove barriers to care, like cost, people start taking better care of themselves. 
We don't have any deductibles on our health care plan. And listen, that doesn't mean under the right circumstances, everybody needs to do that. But we, we have zero deductibles, zero coinsurance, 90% of our drugs are free. And it's not just just cost all the time, you know, money out of pocket. So when we first started this program, they were not on the clock when they would go to the medical center. And Mr. Rosen goes, oh, that doesn't make sense. Let's let them be on the clock. And so that removed another barrier. Some folks didn't, uh, you know, own a car. And maybe they were new to this country. And Mr. Rosen said, well, let's provide transportation at, at no cost. And so long story short, we are we're constantly trying to remove any barriers to care. Now, we used to not charge anything for some services like at our medical center. And Kenneth, how much is the copay now at the medical center? $5 specifically to reduce moral hazards. Yeah, exactly. So there's some sometimes when it makes sense to do that. But I remember when the Affordable Care Act came out, I think it was like 2010, and either it was our interpretation or they said that we have to advertise in our plan document, we have to advertise the max out of pocket. And it was some crazy number, but we... We had to do that, and we tried to talk to somebody with the federal government, and we never got a, an answer, but we said, you know, there's no way, like, in a million years that our folks could ever reach <laughs> a third of that out-of-pocket that you advertise or that most, most employers have in their health plans, and so, again, we just keep it simple, do the right thing, remove barriers when we can, and it seems to be working out. And Ashley, I think one of the most impressive things that we do, because hospitals have a tendency to charge a lot, what have we done? We have limited the amount of money that our associates have to pay when they're in a hospital. The first visit, they're limited to $750. The second visit, they're limited to $750. After that, no matter how much time they spend at a hospital, we pay. So they have $1,500 maximum that they may spend in a hospital. And if indeed they're in the hospital twice, I will encourage them not to pay in one year, to take as long as they want, as long as they need to, to pay that $750 and that $750. Who else is doing that? Who else says that we will limit the amount of money you have to spend in a hospital? But others can do it. And when you do that, you put pressure on the hospital also and say, look, this is all we're going to be making our associates pay uh, for the, your care. So why are you charging five, 10, 15, 20, 30, 50, $100,000? It's crazy. It doesn't make sense and it's not fair. From the hospital admission side of it, you know, the Rosen Medical Center is managing those patients that are admitted. But it's also important, you know, as we're talking about what we've spent per member per year, we also got to remember that I believe we have adverse selection. I mean, if 58% of our pregnancies are high risk, but we're still able to keep our preterm births around 7.6%, while Orlando is at 11%, we're doing something right. We manage these patients from beginning to end. We manage them while they're in the hospital. We're managing their care of cost of care and getting them back into the primary care whenever they are outside of our hands, like in the hospital admission. Again, that's the whole ecosystem that Mr. Rosen's created, a whole continuum of care from beginning 
to end. And Kenneth, one other thing I'd like to add, you, you mentioned our cost for covered life compared to others, and it's, and it's about half. And I think it's also important to know that our number probably could be a, a lot less than it even is, but for the fact that, yes, we do have adverse selection. Word gets around, and that's okay, but we also have a demographic that is not not, not healthy. Uh, now, listen, once we get them and have them for a period of time, we can turn that slow-turning ship, but we have folks that come to us from third-world countries, and they're in their maybe 40s or 50s, and they've never had any sort of Western medicine ever, and and, and here we are, you know, trying to fix them, and that takes time. And so I suspect having a normal uh, population, our costs, again, I, I don't know exactly what it would be, but it would be a good bit less than what we're paying now. Well, gentlemen, I wanted to ask you more about the primary care ecosystem that you've built at the Rosen Medical Center. Primary care, it's just so foundational. And you mentioned earlier, the most important thing is building that relational trust. And, you know, primary care, if it's completely enabled, it helps build communities and creates deep empathy. It helps patients sur survive and thrive. And it's so critically important. And that's where, we, you know, we're really struggling as a country right now. I mean, everywhere else in the country, you have primary care physicians that are exhausted and beleaguered and feel marginalized. And they're on a hamster wheel, just, you know, seeing 30 patients a day. I wanted to ask you about what it's like to be a primary care physician at Rosa Medical Center, how do they find the time to, I mean, do they, do they find the time to really spend listening to those patients and, and understanding their needs? And then I wanted to ask you also just where behavioral health integration comes into the primary care setting. That's certainly the, the tip of the spear. And I know a lot of folks in our society are dealing with uh, mental health issues. One out of five Americans, 51 million people in our country. And that's been exacerbated, of course, by the pandemic and some of the economic Economic uncertainty and other stressors in our society. I'd love to hear more about primary care, the relationship, and then where behavioral health falls into that as well. Yeah, absolutely, Eric. That primary care can handle about 85% of the overall care. If we give the PCPs, the primary care, the time, you said it, some are seeing 30 patients a day. That's not sustainable. That's why primary care and I think ER are all burnt out. That's why kids going to medical school don't want to go into primary care because they're, they have to see so many patients. They have a higher burnout rate and they make less than the specialty care. We should flip. I mean, a lot of my specialist friends are going to now shoot me, but we should flip the pay. The primary care should get the bulk of the pay because they can do all the care, the prevention, 85% of that care. But it's not set up that way. Our system is a sick care system where it's fee-for-service. Now we're moving to the ACOs and all of that and the concierge medicine and all that kind of stuff. But we already have a primary care shortage. Yes, we were bringing in nurse pracs and PAs and they're doing a great job. But we have to pay primary care more. We need to give them more time. At the Rosen, so out there in the real world, most primary care will have what? A panel of say, uh, I think 3,000. At the Rosen Medical Center, we try to keep it around the 700 to 800 so that physician, that nurse practice, that PA, will know the patient and be able to care for them and give them the time. We have to give the patient the time. Did you know, Eric, that there's studies out there that physicians will interrupt a patient within 17 seconds of them coming in to talk about what's going on with them? 
wait, why is that when 85% of a diagnosis will come out of the patient's mouth themselves? It's because these doctors are having to fly from patient to patient. They're not focusing in on the preventative care. It's why are you here now? Let me take care of that. And then I'll see you again when you come back. That's a sick care system. The, the provider is getting paid for every time there's a click, a click, a click. No, at the Rosen Medical Center, they are salaried. They work for the Rosen Medical Center and the Rosen Hotels, and they care for the patients. They spend the time with the patients, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, whatever is needed with that patient. Because we know if we spend that time, we're going to prevent something in the future. The, our providers are not on call. We do have services for after hours and on weekends. That helps with the reduction of the burnout of those providers. And they love working for us. And how does behavioral health? Behavioral health is off the charts. You know, Eric and Daniel, even before COVID, there was challenges with behavioral health. After COVID, even more challenges. So at the Rosen Medical Center, we have services that are available through the programs of the employer. But we're also in the Rosen Care model, we are responsible for another entity. And we've actually put in a behavioral health uh, therapy, actually two of them, in the medical center to receive and care for those individuals right at the point of care when it's recognized that there's an issue. We've added in telehealth, telepsychiatry, and telecounseling. You can even do text counseling. We offer all of those services because we actually recognize the impact of behavioral health. And did you know, Eric, that I, I read a study that 25% of uh, chronic care condition patients have some sort of mental health condition. So what should we put, in, we put together? Some sort of mental health assessment for anybody who has the, the diabetes or the high blood pressure. Those are the kind of things that we look at, but also social determinants of health. Those are the areas that we have to continue to focus in on. Because if we, as providers, are out there saying, hey, guess what, Ashley, you need to go outside and go for walks. But if Ashley lives in an area, like maybe Chicago or something, that you can't go walk outside, is that really feasible? Or if we're telling them to get this medicine, but they can't afford it, is that feasible? It's all the stuff that we focus in on at the Rosen Medical and the Rosen Care. That's the difference of this program. We are the payer and also the provider. That's the difference. These are our family members. These are the family that we're trying to keep healthy. So we'll bring in every opportunity based on the population, based on the need. And that's why we have a 90, I think it's 95% medication compliance rate. That's why we're able to do the things we do because we're not going to be penny wise and pound foolish. Yeah. So you're talking about the compliance rate. So on our uh, chronic disease management, hypertension, diabetes, et cetera, our patient compliance rate is two to three times the national average. And that is because a relationship has been developed. That's probably the, the, the primary reason why people comply. There, there's trust there, not only with, with the provider, but with their employer, knowing the employer is really looking out for them. Kenneth, you talked about behavioral health. I remember 10 or 15 years ago when the mental health parity law came out uh, saying that you have to you know spend the appropriate amount on mental health 
health just as you do on non-mental health care. And, and a lot of CEOs in Orlando were talking with each other. You would see stuff in the newspaper just talking about how this is going to be additional cost, blah, 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 and healthcare is already so expensive. How can we afford this additional cost? And so uh, Mr. Rosen heard that conversation and read about that and asked Kenneth and me and, and said, well, how much is our cost going to go up? And we said, it's not going to go up any. We're, we're already doing it. So we were kind of already, you know, it, it, it made sense for us to spend money on mental health because we couldn't get people to fix their physical health if, if their mental health was not well. And so again, just kind of, you know, common sense. And, and going back to Ken, when Kenneth initially opened on, on primary care and how important it is and how we should pay the primary care doctors more, it always made sense for, for us to spend a disproportional amount of our health care dollar on, on primary care because those are the folks at, at the end of the day that are preventing the disease and, and have the, the best relationship with the patient. You know, a specialist may not see his patient very often, but primary care folks see their patients. And so here we are saying common sense says to spend a disproportional amount of money on the primary care provider. And then the players, the big players in, in our healthcare world, the, the hospitals, you know, big pharma, specialists, et cetera, not that they, I'm not saying they contrive this, but they certainly let this happen on their own watch. And the this that I'm talking about is they, them, the insurance companies allowed for the last sliver of the healthcare dollar to dribble down to the primary care providers. How incredibly wrong is that? And again, I'm not saying it was designed that way, but something is terribly wrong with a system that allowed something like that to happen. And, and I think that if all the folks that I just mentioned, you know, the big players out there, if we just all kind of bring it home a little bit and just do the right thing, we can come out of this mess that we're in. Well, Ashley, I couldn't agree more. And Kenneth, you know, thank you so much for providing your explanation on your primary care medical home model. And you mentioned in your comments the importance of social determinants of health. And, you know, it's well understood that, you know, 80 to 90 percent of a person's health and well-being is based on social determinants of health like housing and transportation and food security and education level. And Rosencare does so much in the primary care setting to address the local needs of your associates and in the community. But Harris, I wanted to ask you, you know, just zooming out from Rosencare just for a moment, you've made some significant long-term investments into the community. I mean, it's been well publicized, some of the work that you've done in Tangelo Park, the neighborhood in Orlando that was underserved and poverty-stricken. Investments in preschools and, you know, education for your associates and their children. And there's been a dramatic turnaround. The crime rate was reduced by 63%. High school graduation rates went up from 45% to 100%. College graduation rates are up over the national average. And it's been about 25 years or so since that program's been into effect. And I'd love to hear some of your comments, especially as it pertains to addressing social determinants of health in the long term, because that's a significant investment, which has absolutely profound implications on the community to which you serve. Yes, and I, I appreciate that very much. We've been doing 
Tangela Park now for 28 years. We offer free preschool for all of the youngsters in the neighborhood. That is every two, three, and four-year-old gets to go to school at, of course, no cost. We mentor the youngsters through kindergarten and elementary school and middle school and then high school. We pay close attention because the goal is for every high school student at Tangela Park to graduate from high school. We have achieved that goal. Uh, from about, as you said, 45% to 100%. A fairly large percentage of our youngsters who graduate from high school go on to community college or uh, four-year college or trade school uh, right here in, in, in Florida. And uh, graduation rates from college are in, in four years about 80%, which is really quite extraordinary. Crime in a neighborhood down actually 80%. And in fact, uh, several years ago, I met the then sheriff of Orange County, who uh, was uh, very familiar with Tangela Park. And it was a crime-infested, drug-infested neighborhood, which slowly but surely transformed into a beautiful, beautiful little community, which it is today. And he said, Harris, I, I just want to let you know what we now refer to Tangela Park as. And I said, what, what is that, the sheriff? He said, we, we now consider it to be a quiet oasis. There is less crime at Tangela Park than in almost all of the gated communities here in Central Florida. Well, we were hopeful that others would look at what we have done and accomplished and replicate the program. We've spoken to some of the largest foundations in America, perhaps in the world, uh, here in America, some of the wealthiest individuals, uh, associates who worked for them. Uh, no one has replicated the program. So about seven years ago, eight years ago, replicated the program in another Orlando community to, called Paramore. And the same extraordinary results are, are now occurring. And we, we could be more proud of that. That the great tragedy has been that no one else has replicated the program. Uh, we have believed from the very beginning, 28 years ago, that if every underserved community in America had a Tangela Park program, none of us would recognize America. It would change America so dramatically. Every youngster in every underserved community would have an opportunity to start school at two, would have an opportunity to go to a college or community college or trade school and, and earn a wonderful living. And that would be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of youngsters that every year would, would be graduating from college, graduating from high school, changing America. I mean, what a wonderful transformation that would be. And, and yet so sad, no one else has decided to replicate the program until recently. Travel and Leisure, a wonderful company, uh, adopted the Eatonville community here in Central Florida and have replicated the program there. And we will soon see that the same wonderful successes there that we've seen in Tangela and Paramore. And we have gotten word that another wonderful organization uh, at Fort Wayne, Indiana, a large organization has agreed that they will also, within next year, adopt a community in Fort Wayne. And so slowly, and I, I emphasize that word, but surely uh, this is a program that seems to be gaining a little momentum and hopefully and prayerfully, not in my lifetime, of course, but this is a program that can really transform America. And I must confess that at all of the Tangelo Park, Paramore, and our Tangelo facilities, we, we do have 
uh, primary care available for all of the neighborhood parents and children. And, and that's a key component. So keep everyone healthy and also keep everyone well-educated and enjoying the educational experience. And, and so that's our Tangelo Park, Paramore, Eatonville, and now Fort Wayne program. And we're thrilled. We're delighted. And we know that someday we're going to look back and say, boy, so that's what changed America so dramatically and so much for the good. And we'll be proud when that day happens. Gentlemen, I just want to say thank you so much. And to wrap up our conversation today, I think a great way to go out would be to discuss leadership. Those who've had the most success transforming benefits for their organizations have realized that the plan design alone is not enough. We've talked about things today like localizing health, treating employees like the most valuable asset in a company. There's things like creating a sense of urgency, developing you know, the vision for better, more affordable benefits, sustaining change through short-term wins and overcoming barriers to change. Can you provide our listeners with some parting thoughts on the importance of leading change to transform healthcare and what CEOs in public and private organizations should be thinking about in this new era post-COVID for value-based healthcare. Is it possible to replicate the Rosencare model at scale for the rest of the nation to uphold? I definitely think it is something that can be replicated. For our exact model, you know, a, a thousand covered lives plus can, can replicate it. For those that don't have that number of covered lives, they can band together and achieve something like this through a captive or just, you know, other arrangements. I think as time goes on and more and more employers do things like this, and they are more are starting to do some of this stuff. As that happens within the next 10 years, I think we'll be able to buy a lot of things like this off the shelf, so to speak. But again, it's it's gonna it's gonna take a little time to to do that. As far as CEOs getting engaged, yes, they, they must. You know, CEOs now typically defer to their benefits department to kind of handle this, and that's fine. Benef folks in the benefits department typically in human resources are just wonderful folks who do great things in taking care of our associates and managing the healthcare plan. But but as far as making a radical change like, like is needed, the CEO and the, the C-suite needs to step in and get more engaged. At the end of the day, I think either Eric or, or Daniel, you mentioned at the beginning of the, of the podcast, you mentioned that, that it's the second largest line item expense. And it is. That being the case, all employers are in the healthcare business, whether they know it or not. If, if their second largest line item is healthcare, they need to be intimately familiar with it and understand how it ticks. So Eric and Daniel, I think my key parting thoughts are, I mean, Ashley said it best, but we have to make a change. 17% of the GDP, and I think that we're going to be hitting 20%. GM spending, what, $17,000 per car on healthcare. We have to make a change. And yes, engaging the CEOs and COOs to get involved is important. And can Rosencare, yes, it can be uh, replicated across the state, uh, across the nation. It's our employers willing to change. The CEOs need to get engaged. And I really leave it to Mr. Rosen and Ashley for those parting thoughts. Well, this has been a terrible year for our nation and for our hospitality industry. It has been devastating. But the Bible says, and this too shall pass. And my hope is that within the next six months or so, the new Delta COVID will dissipate some. And within 
several months after that, we will hopefully get back to normal. But even though we get back to normal, it's not really where we need to be. We need to be a little bit more introspective as a nation. We need to understand that healthcare needs a lot of help. We need to bite the bullet and we need to say, what can we do as a nation to create a much better healthcare system than we have now? Perhaps people will look at what we've done. Perhaps there are other examples of what could be done. But the way we're going now is not the right direction. And we all know that. Hospitals know that. Physicians know that. We all know that. And so we have to take a deep breath and say, look, it is possible that if we replicated the Rosen program in the private sector and the public sector, it is possible that we would save annually over a trillion dollars, maybe a trillion and a half. Let's take that money and slowly pay our debt off. And then one day, thanks to the new healthcare component, the United States of America will be debt-free. Once we're debt-free, we take a deep breath and we change so many of the things that we're doing wrong today. And so healthcare can be the wonderful, wonderful little treasure that helps change America dramatically from what it is today to what it can be in the future. That's my hope and prayer. Gentlemen, thank you for joining the Race to Value. I just feel like I learned so much, and I know our listeners are going to be better for it as well. Thank you for leading the way and being a national example for value-based healthcare, improving outcomes, and helping communities thrive. Thank you for having us, Eric. It's, uh, it's been an honor and a pleasure. It has been an honor and a pleasure. It's been an honor and a pleasure.